Due to circumstances beyond our control, the reading and very first part of the message of this session were not recorded. We trust that nonetheless the message will be a real help to you. The reading for this session was Philippians 1, verses 1 to 11. No better master that we can have is there. There was no one better who can rule over us. He knows us. He loves us. He made us. He knows what's best for us. And he wants the best for us. When we fail, he forgives us. When we mess up, he gives us the opportunity to start again. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never do that. He is lavish. He is generous. He is extravagant in his care. Paul describes himself as a slave of Christ and he's willingly a slave of Christ. But not only is is he a slave of Christ, but he is a slave to the gospel as well. In Romans chapter 1, he describes himself again as a, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and he says, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul is totally committed to the work of God and to the people of God. And that's demonstrated in his life, isn't it? And it's demonstrated in his writings and his attitudes to the people of God. And as he writes to this church in Philippi, it's good just to think about the the setting of this church. If you want to know about the foundation of the church in Philippi, you read in Acts chapter 16. And there was Paul trying to go, trying to go into Asia, but somehow the, the door wasn't opening for him to go there. And during the night he receives a vision and there's this Macedonian call, come on over. And the next day they go over and eventually they come to the, the city of Philippi and a church is born. The first church in Europe. God is at work through his slave. And people are saved. There's a businesswoman, Lydia, by the river. She's religious. And she has an open heart. And God works in her heart. There's a slave girl. Interesting that there's a slave. Source of income for her owners. She has a possessed heart. But God works through his slave Paul in this slave. And she is saved. And then there's the Philippian jailer. You remember that Paul and and, uh, uh, the others, they end up in jail. And the Philippian jailer, the one who has such a hard heart, is saved. God is at work through his slave. And think about what God had to do with his slave to save that Philippian jailer. He had him arrested after what had happened with the the, the servant girl, the slave girl, and uh, they went to the authorities and so on. Eventually, uh, Paul was arrested. He was flogged. He was imprisoned. Shouldn't have been there, but he was. And there in prison we find him speaking up for God, don't we? We find him in the night singing and rejoicing. And it's hard to sing in the night, isn't it? And God does a miracle. And uh, the doors of that prison eventually opened. God is at work through his servant, through his slaver, uh, through his slave, to set this jailer free. About ten years later, Paul is writing to them. He's in prison again. This time there's no escape. 
and is writing to this church in Philippi, writing to the people of God and, and those people who we've just thought about would have been there at the foundation of that church. And he writes to them, they're not a wealthy church, but they're generous to Paul and he commends them for their generosity to him. And in fact, they were as attached to Paul as he was fond of them. The church at Philippi was a very precious church to him. So why does he write? What's the cause and what's the reason why he writes uh, to them at this time? Paul is in prison, as we've said. The church have sent Epaphroditus uh, with a gift. We've seen that the, the, the church there was a, a generous church. And Paul sends the, uh, the church sends Epaphroditus to Paul in prison with a gift. You can read about that in chapter 4 and verse 18. It tells us, and Epaphroditus eventually becomes ill while he's with Paul. And he nearly dies. Chapter 2, verse 27 tells us that. And he's there for some time. But eventually he recovers. And then Paul sends him back to uh, Philippi and to the church there with this letter. And you can imagine Epaphroditus arriving with the letter and the people gathering round. And Epaphroditus opening up this letter and reading it to them as they read Paul's heart, as it were, and the heart, uh, the one who has a heart for the gospel, the one who is a slave of the gospel. Firstly, it's a letter of explanation. He explains his circumstances to friends who were concerned. And it uh, goes on in the following verses, verses 12 to 18, to speak about that. He explains about Epaphroditus and why it's been away for so long. And he defends him as well, because it seems there are those in the church a little bit critical of him. Chapter 2, verses 9 to 30. And he says, treat him with honour. He is to be honoured. A letter of explanation about his circumstances and about Epaphroditus. But it's a letter of appreciation as well. A letter of thanks. He thanks them for their fellowship in the Gospel. He thanks them for their generous support. Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Paul is thankful for them. Letter of explanation, a letter of appreciation, and a letter of exhortation, a letter of encouragement as well. Exhorting them and encouraging them to go on in Christ. In chapter 1 it speaks about Christ being our life. In chapter 2 it speaks about Christ being our example. In chapter 3 it speaks about Christ being our goal. In chapter 4 it speaks about Christ being our strength. He wants to encourage them. He wants to exhort them. And he wants them to exhort them to be united as well. Oh yes, there are some little problems which he appears to address. And um, in chapter 4 verses 2 and 3 he talks of strife and disunity, and he wants to address that and puts them right and encourages them to put them, uh, to put those things right. But it's a letter which is different than some of Paul's other letters. Paul doesn't describe himself an apostle, uh, as an apostle in this letter. Elsewhere he does do that and speaks of his apostolic authority because there's things which need dealing with in the church, but he doesn't do that in this letter. Bishop Lightfoot, the Bishop of Durham in the 1880s, says this, of the book of Philippians. It is one of the fairest and dearest regions of the book of God. It might not be the deepest, but it is the sweetest of Paul's writings. One of the key verses in chapter 1 is verse 21. For me to live is Christ. I'm not going to speak about that. That's the subject of tomorrow's 
tomorrow morning's talk. But the reason why he says that, the reason why he can say that, is because he is a slave of Christ and a slave of the gospel. And his, his desire for the church at Philippi is that they would become the same. And that they would become slaves for Christ. That they would become set apart for him and living for him. And Paul is confident that God will work in their lives. Listen to what he says. Have a look at what he says in verse 6 of chapter 1. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He's confident that God will do that. And why is he confident? Firstly, it's because God is at work and God will do it. But secondly, and that's what we're going to think about in these verses through to 11, and I find this challenging. Secondly, he's confident of it because Paul has them on his heart and has a compassion for them. You see, firstly, he says, I I have you in my mind, verses 3 through to 6. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you all. He remembers them. It's remarkable, isn't it? That here's Paul in a prison, not feeling sorry for himself, but remembering the church at Philippi. When Paul had left Philippi ten years ago, he hadn't gone on from there. It's in great. I've seen some people converted. And let's go on somewhere else and get on, on with it. He didn't forget them. He was confident that what had begun would be continued. And he knows that God hasn't finished with them yet. And he continues in that fellowship with them. And he hasn't finished with them yet. Because the work of the gospel is not just about bringing people to Christ, but it's about leading people on in Christ as well. It's not just about getting them into the kingdom, but it's about keeping them there in the kingdom. I have four children altogether, uh, two who I mentioned earlier who were uh, disabled and totally dependent for all their needs and two who are here tonight. And um, I've been there at the birth of all of them. And uh, when we went to the hospital, I went with my wife and I remember we were going for the first time and uh, eventually Hannah, my daughter, was born and we didn't say to the hospital, say, great, thanks very much, we've done the hard work, she's been born, we'll leave her here with you at the hospital to bring her up and we'll go off on our merry way. We didn't do that, did we? Because the work has only just begun. And uh, sometimes I might think it might be better if I had left them there. Um, But no, I wouldn't swap any of them. Um, But the work goes on, doesn't it? And the work of the gospel is not just about bringing people to Christ, but it's about leading people on in Christ and about growing in Christ. And Paul was committed to these people and he had them in his mind. He thought of them and he remembered them. And he thanked God for them. I thank my God every time I remember you, verse 3. And he thanked God for their fellowship in the gospel, verse 5, because of your... Uh, I always pray for you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul was, Paul was about people, wasn't he? There was a minister who was, um, uh, one of his people in his church had come to see him and he'd encouraged him to go away and to read the whole of Romans. 
And they thought, well, that will do them good to read of Paul's writing. And uh, told, her, told her to go away and to read Romans and then to come away and to come back and tell me what you thought of what you've read and what you've been blessed by. And eventually she came back and he said to her, which chapter did you like best? And he thought, well, maybe she'll speak about some of those tremendous passages in the book of Romans. And uh, Romans chapter 6, which we've mentioned already, or, or, or that passage on sin, or the passage on grace, or whatever, whatever it is. It's tremendous explanation of the gospel, isn't it? And we see, we see Paul's great intellect, and his, his compassion for the gospel. But the lady said, well, the chapter I like best was Romans chapter 16. All those people, and what a heart he had for people. And that's Paul, isn't it? We often think about as this, uh, him as this great theologian, but he had a passion for people. Read through Romans chapter 16. Read through, the, uh, read through his writings and his letters, and you see that his life and his ministry was all about people. People by name. People mentioned. Remember so-and-so, and don't forget so-and-so as well, and remember them as well, and how are they getting on? His life and his ministry was about people. And he had the people of Philippi in his mind. As a slave to the gospel, he hadn't forgotten them. And he thought about these people more than he thought about his own suffering. I have you in my mind. But then he goes on, verses 7 and 8, and not only does he have them in his mind, he has them on his heart. He's confident, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. He cared for them. He had a passion for them. And it seems that he was more concerned about them than he was about himself. Listen to what he says. For whether I'm in chains or defending, confirming or confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. I couldn't care less whether I'm in chains or whether I'm not in chains. That doesn't matter because you're on my heart. God can testify, verse 8, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He longs for these people more than he longs for his freedom. He has these people on his mind. He has these Christians on his heart. And he has these Christians and these people in his prayers as well. Look at verse, again, verses 3 and 4. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. Praying for them with joy. Again in verse 9. And this is my prayer. They were in his mind. They were in his heart. They were in his prayers. Paul had a passion for people as a slave of the gospel. Can I ask us tonight, do we have that passion for people? Do we have a mind for people? Do we have a heart for people? Do we pray for people? So often we have a love for things, don't we? And our love for things and our love for ourselves is greater than our love of people. 
just uh, last week I was speaking at a church, a uh, church I'd not been to before, and uh, it's a, a congregational church, and they gave me one of their magazines, and I took it home, and I read it, and uh, this is the magazine of the Evangelical Fellowship of Congregational Churches. And I was challenged by one of the articles I read in here. And it's from the Guest House, somebody called Derek Guest, who obviously writes in uh, each magazine and is sharing something. And he says, can I be personal? And he speaks about how he was visiting somebody who was 95, who was blind and bedridden. And, uh, um, and she said, before Derek Guest went, she said, remember, Mr. Guest, I've got you on my list. I'm praying for you. And then he goes on, he says, I too have a list. Every morning the alarm goes off at seven. And after I've made the cups of tea, I read the next passage in the Old Testament and then go through my list. First, general prayers, keep the children safe, comfort the dying and those who mourn, hold back the sinner, heal the sick, save the lost, revive the church, glorify thy name. Then a long list of names, family, friends, special contacts over the years. Finally, around the world of the Fellowship of Congregational Churches, I've had the precious privilege of visiting since we founded the WEFC in 1986. After breakfast, before any job, is the next passage in the New Testament, and then a prayer list of families in our church. And then finally, a page at a time of the EFCC yearbook. People. I was challenged by that. Lists of people. Paul obviously had lists of people. They might not have been written down, but they were certainly written on his heart. Do we have lists of people? I've been challenged by that as I've been studying in this first chapter as I read that the other day and started to try and write down more people to pray for. Have you prayed for the people that you met on beach missions this year? Or are they forgotten? Why not tonight? Just think about who you've met and write them down and pray for them. Do we pray for the people of God? For Christians who we know? Maybe Christians in our family, Christians in our churches. Do we pray for those who aren't Christians? Paul, as a slave of Jesus Christ and the slave of the gospel, had a heart for people. And what Paul prays for these people is what he wants for them as well, and we find it recorded in verses 9, 10 and 11. What he prays for them is what his desire is for them. And what he wants for them is what God wants for me and God wants for you. Because God wants each one of us to be bondservants of Jesus Christ. Very often we talk about our freedom, don't we? You know, becoming a Christian is being free. My chains fell off. My heart was free. But it's that other bit about following thee, isn't it? If any man would take up his cross daily, uh, if any man would follow me, he must take up his cross and follow me. It means being a slave. It means being in chains. It means saying it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. God wants us to become bondservants of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Well, let's look at what Paul prays for these people. Firstly, he prays that they might be full of love and devotion. Full and lo- of love and devotion. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound 
more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. We're often full of ourselves, aren't we? We're often full of our, our gadgets, we're full of Facebook, we're full of what we want to do, rather than being full of love and devotion to our Master. And then he wants them to be faithful in their daily walk. And that doesn't just mean, you know, the quiet time. It means the walk with God. Living a holy life. A righteous life. Set apart for God. Verse 10. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. We are pure and blameless before God. We are holy. But we need to live as holy people, pure and blameless, faithful in our walk with God. And then thirdly, well, he wants them to be full of love and devotion, be faithful in their daily walk. And finally, he wants them to be fruitful in Christian ministry. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Not a righteousness that comes from ourselves, but a righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. Fruitful in Christian ministry. And that's ministry with a small m, not a big m. Not just talking about ministers, but about ministry, about ministering. We're all ministers, aren't we? Ministry is not what we do for God. Ministry is what God does through us. Fruitful in your lives, in your service for the Lord. That's what Paul wanted for these dear Christians in Philippi. And that's what God wants for us. Full of love and devotion, faithful in our daily walks, fruitful in Christian ministry. Warren Wearsby, in his book on being a servant of God, says that a service for the Lord is the greatest work in the world. There is no greater work than being a servant, than being a slave of Jesus Christ. And Paul, as he he prays for these people at Philippi, as a slave to the gospel, he's praying that they too would become slaves of Christ. And these qualities are the marks of a slave, aren't they? Devotion, faithfulness and effective service. We used to have two servants. I used to live in Tunisia in North Africa many years ago as a youngster and uh, we had two servants. And it was a good job for them and my father was a good master and treated them well. But they were different. One of them, uh, well, in fact, what happened one time, we'd been away and we came back and uh, we came back to discover, um, someone came and told us that uh, one of them had, uh, while we had been away, uh, she'd had her friends round to the house, they'd been sitting in our dining room, they'd been drinking my father's drinks, um, and living as if it was there. That was one of them. The other one was called Habiba. She was totally committed to serving our family. Which of those do you think best pleased my father? It's obvious, isn't it? It was Habiba. The other one was eventually sacked. As we draw to a close this evening, what type of servant are you? 
Are you living for yourself? Or are you living for Christ as your master? Frances Ridley Havigal, who wrote some of the hymns that we sing and other poems as well. She lived in uh, the mid-1800s. And she often expressed her heart. And one of the things that she wrote which expressed her heart and I think expresses Paul's heart as well and actually expresses the heart of a bondservant, a slave of Christ. And she wrote these words. And I want to finish with these words tonight and want us to think about these words and want us to make them our own. I love, I love my master. I will not go out free. For he is my redeemer. He paid the price for me. I would not leave his service. It is so sweet and blessed. And in the weariest moments, he gives the truest rest. May her words be the words of our hearts this evening.